been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 486 of the Recruiting Future podcast. As an end-of-year special, this week is Productivity Week on the podcast. With so much going on and so many competing pressures, I know that everyone listening will, at least at some point in 2022, have had challenges with focus and information overload. Talent acquisition is evolving quickly, and managing attention and processing information are vital skills that aren't highlighted as much as they should be. My first guest on Productivity Week is one of the world's leading personal knowledge management systems experts. Tiago Forte is founder of Forte Labs and the creator of the brilliant Building a Second Brain. Building a Second Brain is a very effective knowledge and information management system I can personally vouch for as I used it to write my book, Digital Talent. Tiago has created a popular online course and a book on building a second brain. And in our discussion, he gives us an excellent insight into the system. Hi, Tiago, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I'm very happy to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure. My name is Tiago Forte. Uh, I'm the founder of a company called Forte Labs, and we are most known for a online course, which is now a book and a methodology called Building a Second Brain or BASB. Uh, And what Building a Second Brain is, is a way of teaching people how to save all the information that's important to them. Everything from notes they take to documents they create. Basically, you can think of it like your entire digital life, your entire digital world. How to save and organize that in a way that promotes calm and peace of mind and focus and ultimately productivity to advance their career, advance their ideas, their message, find their voice or grow their business. Fantastic stuff. And uh, as I was saying to you just before we started recording, I'm a big fan of building a second brain, read the book, done the course, bought the t-shirt, all those kind of things. And it's I, I find it a, an incredibly helpful way of navigating the the crazy world of information that we that we live in. I suppose just to give everyone a bit of context, tell us this story about how you created this methodology and how it became a book and a course. It's a long story, so let me give you the short version. <laughs> it was really it's, it's at this point over a decade. So almost 15 years that I've been developing this. Uh, I started it strictly out of personal necessity. Uh, I had around uh, 2007, when I was 22, this mysterious illness that eventually became a chronic illness. It was like a pain and tension in my throat, in my neck, that made it difficult to speak, made it difficult to to laugh, to sing, to, I mean, really to lead a normal life. It just got worse and worse over months and then years. And if you know anything about the U.S. medical system, it is like a part-time job, uh, keeping track of all the paperwork and lab diagnostics and insurance forms and everything related to a chronic condition. And so I really had to develop this note-taking system, this information management system uh, to manage that chronic condition. I had no pretensions for creating a second brain or a lifelong anything. It was just like, let me get through this one big challenge in my life. 
And I did that. It was successful. I had to, you know, sort of run a series of experiments, changes to my, my diet, to my sleep, to my self-care, to my mental health. You know, I sort of had to become a student of my own condition and that, you know, gave me uh, quite a bit of relief. But then I started to notice, wait a minute, I can take the same approach and apply it to any part of my life. So I applied it to my college studies. I was in college at the time and I went from a, you know, mediocre average student to graduating with honors because I had this system where I could dump all the information that I had to keep track of, organize and make sense of it, and then use it to, in that case, write papers and pass tests. I later used the same approach to uh, apply for the Peace Corps, which is this overseas volunteer program, taught English for a few years overseas, came back to the US, used it for my first job, used it to start a business, used it to start a blog. Really, I have one weird trick. I have one thing that I do, which is to, to, to use you know, software in this way. And eventually, it took a number of years, but I eventually started thinking of it and calling it a second brain. And even later, started teaching it and speaking about it and writing about it uh, to the point where it's really the focus of my entire business and career. It kind of it struck me as I was sort of working through the course and applying it to my work that a lot of companies will talk about knowledge management and time management and send people on training and uh, you know all all of that kind of all that kind of stuff. But I mean, do you really think that companies are offering kind of effective support for their knowledge workers just in this age of information overload that we're living in? Oh no, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've done corporate training. I've worked with a number of, you know, learning, uh, learning managers, learning directors at different organizations. There is a just huge appetite and huge lack of honestly any kind of training when it comes to knowledge management. Knowledge management is pretty new, especially personal knowledge management. Uh, it, it had its origins in the 1990s. Uh, it's only a couple decades old. And so it's, it's really barely just starting to come into the consumer market, much less the corporate training market, which tends to lag by, you know, a decade. If organizations did anything related to knowledge management in the past, it was super top down. You know, it was sort of like, like the IT department. They would make one decision. Okay. This is the software we're using to capture our, you know, our insights and do knowledge sharing. Everyone had to use it. Everyone was forced into this very bureaucratic, top-down, you know, uniform way of quote-unquote sharing knowledge, which from most people I talk to, they resist it, <laughs> right? They resist that top-down mandate with everything they have. They don't want to sit there, you know, typing in their knowledge into a piece of software, not knowing how it's going to be used. Uh, it's typically software that doesn't really fit the way they think. It's, it doesn't really enhance the way they work. It actually takes away from it. It competes with it. Uh, and so I think we're, we're going through this big sea change where the way that we organize and, and share knowledge is shifting from this top-down method, which honestly never works particularly well, to a much more individualistic, human-centric, and bottom-up way where knowledge is sort of bubbling up. It, it kind of self-organizes from the the day-to-day -day work of the people themselves rather than being something that the you know the executive team mandates. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think what you're saying about inflexibility kind of really rings true with me there. Because when I was kind of searching for a better way of working to write the books I write, the reports I write, and also 
the research for the podcast. And what I really, and I tried sort of various different ways of, of working, but what I really liked about building a second brain was what it was very, very flexible and very, very personal. And, you know, I've managed to build up a system that works for me really well within that framework. I suppose to bring this to life for people a little bit who may have not come across this way of working before, can you give us the sort of very quick overview of how your system works, what the key elements are to it? Yeah, it's really um, code. C-O-D-E is the, 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 the heart of this methodology. Um, the four central chapters of my book are each named for these four letters. And the letters of code stand for capture, capturing knowledge, organizing knowledge, which is the O, D for distilling knowledge, and E for expressing knowledge. And what code represents is really the creative process, right? Think about the creative process. There's inputs and there's outputs. Information comes in, it gets captured, it gets organized. There's some sort of structure or categories, but then that's not, that's not all. That's just the, that's just the input. There is then an output. So that knowledge gets distilled, it gets boiled down to kind of its essence, the key points, the key takeaways. And then ultimately, hopefully, it gets expressed. It gets shared or published or implemented or applied in some way, uh, which can be through writing, through speaking, presenting, designing, creating a product or service, selling, all these things. So that's that's the very high-level overview. I'm happy to get into, into those four if you'd like. But really, building a second brain, it's, it's a system. It's a thing. But I think it, it's more important to think of it as a process. It's a process that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, which means regardless of which tool you use, which piece of software, and honestly, most people have to use more than one, they have to use multiple, what matters is that information is coming in, being refined, and then going out to produce some sort of outcome or result. The tools and the systems you use to accomplish that, they change. They're constantly evolving, you're swapping them in and out, but the, the, the creative process itself is timeless. And honestly, everyone uses it in some form or another. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd love for you to go into all of those in lots of detail, but obviously we don't have huge amounts of time. And also you've got a whole book on this and a whole, whole course on this that people can go and find. I suppose to pick up on one thing, which is the capture part of all of this and kind of how that relates to technology. We, we've seen over the last sort of few years, an explosion of note taking and knowledge, knowledge storing technologies. And as you say there, the, the, the technology isn't, isn't the important part of it, but it is the bit that drives it. Tell us a bit about how easy technology can now make capturing information from different sources. Oh gosh, it's come so far. It's come so far. I mean, even in the 10 years I've been focused on this, you used to have to hack together, jerry-rig all sorts of, you know, bespoke custom systems that didn't play nicely together, that were often really difficult to use, that would break, that would lose data. Uh, I mean, we've just made tremendous strides, mostly just because it's now a recognized thing, right? Like now now it's known because of tools like Notion, like Rome Research, Obsidian. My book is part of, you know, popularizing this. This is now a recognized category of software, a recognized kind of, you know, human behavior, a recognized skill set that people have. And so we're seeing, you know, everything from the, the, the software programs that I mentioned to even advancements in the integration between them. Uh, as one example, just to give a, a concrete case, 
uh, there's a tool called Readwise. Readwise is not a note-taking application itself. It is for connecting note-taking applications. So the classic example is, let's say you read eBooks on a Kindle device or on the Kindle app, and you make a highlight, right? Very common, you know, widely known behavior. You see a passage you think is interesting, you wanna save it, you wanna revisit it and reflect on it. So you put down your finger and you make one of those yellow highlights. Well, for most ebook readers, that's the end of the road, right? There, there's no next step. They made a highlight and then they turn to the next page never to see that thing again. <laughs> um, but with Readwise, you can actually connect the Kindle service with a note-taking app such as Notion or Roam or Evernote such that when you make a highlight in a Kindle ebook, completely automatically, with no further action needed on your part, it will sync, it will export that specific highlight and every other highlight you make from that book all at once in the background over to your notes app. So basically, after you spend you know five to 10 hours reading a, a book, which is a, a serious investment, to spend five or 10 hours in focused reading with the way that life is these days is like a serious feat. <laughs> Um, once you've made that investment, you end up at the end of end of that process with this clean, organized note with only the highlights and the passages that you saved. It's sort of like you get a return on your investment. You have this almost like souvenir, this what I call a knowledge asset that you're taking away from all that time you've spent that you can use for the rest of your life. It can be a resource for you to use in your writing, in your slide presentations, in your you know, in your entrepreneurship, in your side gigs, it really becomes this lifelong kind of treasure. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. I love the fact you've used that example because I plugged Readwise into my Kindle account about 18 months ago. And I literally had about 10 to 12 years worth of notes in books or highlights in books that I had no idea what <laughs> if I'd ever see again or what to do with. And I literally just pulled them all and downloaded into, I'm using Evernote as my notes app at the moment. It, it's searchable in Evernote. And I was like, that is incredible. It feels like I've got 10 years worth of wasted work back <laughs> because, because I can now look through these notes. So, you know, it's, it's such a great example. And, and also within your system, you've got a way of developing those notes into things that are useful moving forward. Absolutely. And, and you're highlighting something, which is you can do this retroactively. You know, if you have an Amazon Kindle account and you've read ebooks in the past and you've highlighted them, 
it doesn't matter if you haven't done this in the past, just go in there. You can sign up for a free, you know, trial of Readwise, uh, hook it up to your Amazon account, hook it up to your notes app, and you can retroactively download this massive archive of every single highlight that you've ever made in the past. Absolutely. So in terms of building a second brain and systems like this, is this something that anyone can use or is it is it reserved for information geeks like me? I think to some extent, everyone is already doing this. I think that's important to recognize. Uh, if you jot down some notes on a legal pad during a meeting, you are doing capture. Capture is just writing things down. If you are writing things in a notes app, in a Word doc, in a Google doc, if you're saving bookmarks, if you're downloading files from the internet, these are all forms of capture. So you're already doing it. Uh, and the same is true of organizing Distill and Express. We, we are all in some way taking in information, doing something with it, and then outputting something, right? So the only question in my mind is, it's not, you know, are you going to build a second brain or not? It is really, to what level are you going to do it? right? Are you going to have a basic one, which is fine. There's really nothing wrong with basic. If you're a student, if you're early in your career, if you're not responsible for, you know, producing content or creative works or, you know, presenting things or giving talks or anything like that, maybe you stick with something more basic, even something like Apple Notes, right? Like people write down, you know, grocery lists and ideas they had in the shower and to-dos. These are all kind of basic forms. Uh, but then I find that the, the way people's careers are going and really just the economy, what is the long-term trend? Is for people to do more kinds of thinking, novel kinds of thinking, solve novel uh, and more complex kinds of problems over time. If you're seeing that reflected in your own career, anyone listening to this, and you have the thought, you know what, I need a more robust system. I need something a little more capable, a little more powerful then it might be time to just dial that up a little bit, a little bit at a time, and use something a little more sophisticated. And that's where something like my book comes in handy, which will serve as a guide to the wild west of, uh, of PKM, knowledge management apps, uh, that are proliferating all the time. So I would say it's, it's really just depends on the, the person, their temperament, their career, what stage of life they're at, and really just their, their interests. I think that will resonate with lots of people, the part about complex problem solving, particularly in the economy that we've got now, and particularly where talent acquisition, HR and talent management are in terms of in terms of how we how we move forward. You mentioned the book there. Give us a kind of a bit of a preview. What would the first step be for uh, someone who wants to take this more seriously and be more sophisticated in the way in the way they kind of manage knowledge and information? Yeah, it's a great question. So the thing you shouldn't do is find go out and find the most complicated, complex, sophisticated software program that you can find. <laughs> that's what that's what people tend to, to do when they think, okay, I need a more powerful system. When I say more sophisticated, what I really mean is to really look at your use cases. Okay, this, this is the way to become more sophisticated. As just as, as a simple example, what is the most common kind of information input that you have? I really ask anyone listening to this to ask themselves, like, like what is the number one source that you that you look at? Is it ebook highlights? Is it podcasts? Is it YouTube videos? Is it meetings and calls that you're on? Is it conferences or seminars or classes? Like of the whole wide array of information sources, look at the, the one that is most important and that you, you consume the most of. 
And then ask yourself, how can I capture from this source, this top source, more efficiently, more thoroughly, and more easily? Okay. If let's say, for example, you know, reading books or eBooks is your number one information source, look at an, an automated uh, service like Readwise. But there's many others. You know, let's say speaking is your and, and audio is your form of information consumption. You can look at it at a service like Otter, O T T E R, which allows you to hit a button on your phone, speak into it, and then it creates a nearly perfect transcript for you to save in your notes. There's really a lot of options out there. Um, so look at your information input, but then look at your output. Okay, and, and this this is a little harder. I really think every single person is expressing, this is the E in code, is expressing their knowledge in some way all the time. Okay, writers and musicians and you know poets, those are it's kind of easy to see what their output is, but I really think this applies to everyone. You know, is it slide presentations? Is it emails? If you write emails, you are expressing knowledge to some other person, right? Uh, it might be conversations, it might be decisions that you make, problems that you solve, customers that you serve. Look at how the knowledge that you uniquely have gets uh, translated into the into the external world. And then ask, how can I do that more efficiently, more thoroughly, more easily, right? How can I do it in a way that doesn't take as much time, in a way that has a bigger impact on more people? It's really just about iterating on the kinds of things you're already doing, using software to just enhance them, augment the, the way that you're currently already dealing with information. So it's just a little higher leverage and, and more effective. Just a question about the future. Obviously, we're living in a very complicated, disruptive time, and you know it looks like that's only gonna that's only gonna continue. And the the information that we're bombarded with is only gonna the amount of information that we're bombarded with is is only going to increase. In terms of the the next generations coming through, how do you feel that schools and education systems should be? teaching our kids to deal with all of this information and, and everything that's out there for them. Oh, this is one of my, this is one of my bones to pick. <laughs> um, this is one of my, my soapboxes is I'm just astounded. I mean, the education system, I think fails us in a lot of ways, but particularly um, there's something about the way that we're taught to learn and to work in school it's almost like we are taught the exact opposite of what is actually needed to succeed in the workplace. A few examples, we are taught to memorize things. That's what you do you know, when you study for a test. Uh, we're taught to memorize things with our first brain, with our biological brain. But in the real world, there's very, very few cases where you have to strictly, perfectly memorize things. In real world situations, you have notes, right? You can look things up on the internet. You can ask a colleague you can go and find out the answer. So I, I kind of wish school prepared us to better take advantage of external sources of information rather than telling us, oh no, you can't use any external source, uh, which is just not a very realistic scenario. Just in general, I think school could do a much better job of assuming that we will have access to technology, right? Assuming we will have access to calculators and to the internet and to software and to communication and collaboration platforms, and then training us to better use those rather than, than you know, pretend like they don't exist. 
I couldn't agree with you more on that one. I think it's uh, I think it's it's crazy that they're not teaching the skills that people need. As a final question, tell us where people can find you. Where can they find the book? Where can they find more about your courses? Yes. So you can find everything about me at buildingasecondbrain.com, uh, including our blog where I have lot, lots of free articles, uh, my podcast, Building a Second Brain Podcast, the course that I teach, the book that I wrote. Uh, it's, all, it's all at buildingasecondbrain.com. Tiago, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate it. My thanks to Tiago. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.